have been doing a series of sermons since the beginning of this year, looking at the life of Jesus. We're just going to look at Jesus for quite a long time because we love him. And it's called Letting People See Jesus. We're about a year and a half into his ministry, uh, his three or three and a half year ministry. We're nearly halfway through it. And we've been looking at various stories. And the next story in Jesus' life chronologically uh, is in Matthew 11 and 12, where Jesus starts talking about the culture that, that was there at the time in Israel. So he talks to various cities, and then he talks to the generation. He's talking to the culture of that time, and he's pulling back the veil a little bit and comparing them to previous cities of different times and different pr- places and saying, this is how you guys, your culture, compares to Tyre and Sidon, to uh, Solomon's time, to all these different things. He compares their culture to other cultures just to give them a different perspective because I don't know if you realize it, but our culture surrounds us and is so pervasive in our lives that we don't often even realize what our culture is. Isn't that true? We are so surrounded and saturated by what this generation, what the world around us, what our nation and our culture says, and our family and people around us, that we don't even judge it. We don't critically look at it and say, well, is that right? We just accept a whole lot of norms and say, well, that's just how life is. And Jesus, in this passage that we're going to read, compares them to other times and places and gives them a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? It's what a builder uses to measure the straightness of a wall. He uses a, a, a plumb line with a weight on the bottom, and he measures it up against a wall to say, yes, that wall is straight. Jesus gives a plumb line to the generation, and he says, this is where you stand against the real standards, the culture of God, if you like. Isn't that exciting? Amen. Are you ready for that today? <laughs> it's a little bit daunting. Let's read what Jesus says. In Matthew 11, verse 16, he says, But to what shall I liken this generation? Wow. He says, he was talking to the people of that time, but he says, You are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. He says, no matter what the popular culture says, there is a wisdom from God that is right. Wow, God, what does my culture say? And what does your wisdom say? Let's read on. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. He says to you, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Whoa, we thought we were cool, good, hip, close to God, awesome, wonderful culture. He says, "Uh uh-uh. Just because everyone's saying that, may not be true. Don't believe your own PR, he says. And then he goes on, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, 
will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Whoa, Capernaum, we thought we were hot. Jesus was doing stuff. Peter lives here. We, we got lots of miracles going on. We thought we were special. He says, actually, in the big scale of things, Sodom's better than you. Whoa. Shocking. Is it possible that we think we're great? You remember Jesus spoke in, in Revelation 2 and 3 to the seven churches. And to one of them, he says, you think you're rich. You think you're great. You think you've got everything together. I say to you that you are weak and miserable and poor and you need healing. And I'm going to give you the healing that you need. Isn't that amazing? We can think one thing. As a church even, as a culture, we can think, hey man, we, we got certain things going on. And we need to come to the real judge and say, Lord, what is your wisdom on this? What do you think? What is your standard? And, he, and he's kind. He doesn't, he's not harsh. He shows us in a loving way. Let's read on. Verse 38 of chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and, the night, and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed one greater than Jonah is here. He compares Nineveh and Jonah to this generation. They, some of the Pharisees were saying, hey, we want to see a miracle. And he says, whoa, you guys don't really realize what's going on here. Compared to Nineveh, Jonah appeared to Nineveh, this non-Jewish city. They were a, a pagan city, 100,000 people. And Jonah just preached once. And he wasn't even an eager preacher. He was a reluctant preacher. He didn't want them to repent. But he says, God says you're going to get punished. If you don't repent. And then he went outside the city. And they repented, all of them, in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus says, Nineveh is going to be better than you guys. And then he goes on. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, one greater than Solomon is here. So there was this lady, this queen from Africa called the Queen of Sheba. And she came, she'd heard rumors that this man called Solomon had amazing wisdom from God. You know, you know when God said to Solomon, what do you want? Ask for anything and I'll give it to you. You know what he said? He said, I want a heart that hears your voice. It actually says discerning, I think it's translated. But the real meaning is a heart that hears your voice. Isn't that an amazing thing to pray? And because of that, he got all the other things, but he got wisdom from God. And Sheba, this lady, heard about him. She came up and she traveled and she did all whatever was necessary to get there to hear Solomon speak. And he said, you guys have one greater, more wise than Solomon, and you can't even be bothered to listen to me. Isn't that a, an amazing statement? How ready are we or how desperate are we? To hear. The Queen of Sheba would travel hundreds, thousands of miles to go and hear. I don't know. You tell me. How, how are we compared to that? Then he goes on. 
He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept clean and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. We use that little passage of scripture to talk about demons and, and individual people. But it, it does apply to that. But he was speaking about a generation. He said, I have come, Jesus, the Messiah, I have come and I've swept clean all the demons out of this place. <laughs> That's what he was saying. I have swept Israel clean of sickness and demons. Historians believe there was no sickness in that whole region. Hundreds of square miles had no sickness. And there was, Jesus had cast out all the demons. It was an amazing time. He'd done an awesome work in their midst. But he says, when I go, if your guy's heart hasn't changed, it's going to be worse. They're all just going to come back with seven more. Wow. What has God done in our generation or the generation before us where he's moved mightily, where his spirit has moved and people's hearts have been changed and lives have been changed. And we just sit back and we say, whoa, we're a great generation. And he says, no, no, be careful. It might just be extra grace was given and you need to respond correctly to that extra grace. Otherwise, the next generation will be even worse. Wow. You know, I'm reminded of Moses. God said to the children of Israel, no one from this generation will enter the promised land. Do you remember that story? The Israelites have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And God says, no one, because of your faithlessness, no one in this generation will enter the promised land. Only the next generation will. The, those who are 20 years and younger. And you know what occurred to me recently? Moses' children. Moses' children were older than 20. And they didn't get into the promised land. And it broke my heart. I was reading that story and I was thinking about Moses. We know how he didn't get into the promised land and... And we've spoken about that in the past. But what about his children? You know, they were born right at the beginning of Exodus. When, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, right at the beginning of the 40 years, Moses' children were little. So they would have been 40, 45, 50 years old when the people entered the promised land. They did not enter. They were not 20 years and younger. They didn't get in. It's shocking. It's sad. Why? Because there was a generation of unbelief. Because they were living amongst a million people. When the promised land was presented to them, they said, it's too hard. God has promised it, but we can't get in. It's too difficult. Oh, woe is us. We like grasshoppers in their eyes and in our own eyes. We're just useless and they're big and God isn't strong enough. And because the talk of the generation had got into the ears of all the little kids, they didn't have the faith to get in. Even Moses' children. How sad is that? The generation seeped in to the culture and everybody just took it in. The faithlessness of the generation. Except two men, Caleb and Joshua. God says they have a different spirit. <laughs> they have a different spirit. Caleb, at the age of 80, he comes into the promised land. He says, right, I'm ready to fight. Where's the mountain with the biggest giants on it? I want that one. I want to go and fight some giants. He had a different spirit. 
He was different to the generation. He showed the generation what it should be like. What about David? The book of Acts says that David served the purposes of God in his generation. How was he different to... David, a little boy, comes from looking after the sheep in the field where he's been alone night after night, looking at the stars, worshipping God with his harp or guitar, looking after the sheep, fighting lions and bears. And he comes to the front line where all his big brothers are and the, the whole nation of Israel is there, the generation. And Goliath, the evil enemy, comes and stands up and says, Ha ha, you rubbish Israelites. And David rises up inside of himself. He served the purposes of God in his generation. He didn't let the generation's culture dictate to him what is right, what is wrong. What should I be scared of? What should I do? What should I not do? He said, no, no, there's something inside of me that's a different culture, a different spirit. I will serve the purposes of God in my generation. Can you see this? Philippians 2 verse 15 says... That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world. <laughs> God's plan for us is that we're in a generation, we're in a culture, we admit it, we recognize it, we understand how to deal with it, but we're not like it. We're in it, but we're not like it. We shine like stars in it. We're different. We shine out into the culture. Absolutely beautiful. Esther. Queen Esther. She's living amongst the Persian kingdom. And somehow she gets chosen to be the king of Persia's queen. And she gets brought in and she marries the king of Persia. But she herself is a Jew. And then all the Jews are going to get killed and her uncle Mordecai says to her, you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. It's your chance to be different to the culture. And she goes before the king of Persia, nervous because he could kill her at any moment. And she says, oh dear king. And she says, please save my people, the Jews. And she changes history. And the Jewish nation is saved because one woman said, I'm here to be different to the rest of this generation. Wow. Are you getting a picture here? Jesus said, culture exists. Jesus was part of his culture. You know, he spoke Aramaic. He spoke the language of the people. And he was like an everyday person. He ate and drank and spent time with the normal people. He was not different to his culture. Unlike John the Baptist who wore camel's clothes and ate locusts, Jesus was a normal person. We're supposed to be in our culture, but Jesus said this culture does not define truth and error, right and wrong. Look for another definition, get it in you, and then shine into this, into this culture. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Can I just make another comment? Jesus said to them, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, all these different cities and generations. He said, if the miracles and the wisdom and all the things that you have seen were in Tyre and Sidon or Sodom and Gomorrah, all these different places, they would have repented. What he was saying is that we cannot take judgment or the lack of judgment or the blessing of God or the miracles of God as a measure that says God is happy with our culture. 
Let me just explain that a sec. Jesus was saying, don't use the signs around you to determine whether God is happy with your culture or not, because that's not the measure. They had miracles happening. They were not being judged. Let me just tell you about, well, we know about Sodom and Gomorrah. God came and he said, this is wicked. I'm going to wipe it out. And they were wiped out. Tyre and Sidon, in Ezekiel 26, Ezekiel says, Woe to you, Tyre, because you've spoken badly against Jerusalem. And he makes some predictions. It's one of the most astounding prophecies in the Bible, the prophecy about Tyre. He says, you're going to be destroyed. All of your um, sand and, and rocks are going to be thrown in the sea. You're going to become a bare rock that is smooth. And fishermen are going to lay their nets on you. And this was in about 580 BC when Tyre was a prosperous city. Eight years later, Nebuchadnezzar comes. He destroys the city of Tyre. So they all escape to a little island about 500 meters off the coast. Uh, and they, re they make Tyre the, the little island. Then a few hundred years later, Alexander the Great comes. And he takes all the land and the rocks and the sand. And he throws them into the sea to make a bridge across to the little island. And he completely destroys it. And raises it to the ground. And it becomes a smooth place. And if you go to Tyre today, it has never been rebuilt. And fishermen lay their nets on the rocks. It's the most incredible prophecy that's come true. And God says to these cities, Jesus says to these cities, You see what happened to Tyre? You think you're better than them because you don't have all these judgments coming against you. He says, that's not the measure of whether I'm happy with somebody. Basically, and please hear me now, God was saying... Judgment will come at the end of time. We can't think judgment will be fair and correct and, and evenly meted out now. It's only at the end, at Judgment Day, that we're really going to know who was better and who was worse. Just because your culture's blessed, don't think I'm happy. Just because your culture's struggling, don't think I'm sad. There's different reasons for these things that happen. But get your wisdom from God's plan, from His Word and from His Spirit. Does that make sense? Very interesting, isn't it? Let me make a few points as I close. Number one, there is such a thing as culture. You live in a culture. I live in a culture. We live in a city, a generation, a culture. What do you think our culture is like? How does our culture compare to previous ones? Did you know that our generation is the first one in history that will be able to reach Every tribe, nation, and tongue with the gospel in our lifetimes. We're the only one, the first time ever. It's never been the case before. Never before have we been able to reach everybody with the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that our generation is unique because nearly everybody in the world understands pretty much the same language? Or if they don't, it can be translated easily. People can communicate with other people in a way that has never been the case before in our generation. Just 100 or 150 years ago, there were 900 languages being spoken in France. Did you know that? <laughs> now there's one. And there's one language pretty much in the whole planet. The world has changed so dramatically recently. What about the internet? There's an organization that Maria is part of called GMO, Global Mission Outreach, something like that. And they use the internet to reach people for Jesus. They say, we believe by the year 2020, we can reach every human on the planet with the gospel because of the internet. 
It's never been the case before. What about travel? I can jump on a plane and be the other side of the world tomorrow. That's never been the case before. There's something different about this generation. We've been blessed, just like when Jesus came to Capernaum and blessed them so much. We've been so blessed. The power of God is working. There's more miracles today than have ever been in the history of the church. People getting raised from the dead. People seeing visions of Jesus. We're living in a time of extraordinary favor. Now we could sit back and say, oh, we are cool, aren't we? Or we could say, no, no, it's not because we're cool. God is doing something. We need to respond. Do you get that? Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. The parable of the talents, the guy who got one talent, the guy who got two talents, the guy who got five talents, they all got the same reward at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. But the guy who got five was expected to make another five. The guy who got two was unexpected to make another two. We've been given so much. We've got to do something with it and not just sit on our laurels and say, well, hey, we're quite awesome, you know. <laughs> Family values and morality have changed drastically, haven't they? Drastically. The, the world's morality has just changed completely. The normal values and rules of, of how people should live and re react to one another has changed, completely changed. Again, we the church don't say, well, that's just the way the world is these days. We're going to adjust the Bible and adjust God to that. No, no. We, we recognize we're part of our culture. We live in it and interact with it. But we say God has a different culture to what our culture is. Amen? We don't just accept what the world says to us. Literacy. More people can read and write than ever before. Wealth. You know, we are so wealthy compared to other generations. If you've got running water and a toilet that flushes inside your house, you're like a king 150 years ago. I mean, nobody had. It's just amazing what we've got. And we've got cars and computers. Oh, I'm suffering so much, my hard drive crashed, you know? <laughs> we are so blessed. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me conclude. So there's such a thing as culture. We must recognize it. Um, we must win it. We must reach it. We must reach it. And then lastly, we must pass it on to the next generation. Let me read you Psalm 145 verse 4. It says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Friend, I'm very aware now, as I'm getting older, that I'm not going to be here forever, and none of you will be here probably in a hundred years' time. There's generations to come. And what we do now, we need to think about the generations to come. We need to think, how do we serve God's purpose in this generation? But more importantly, how do we empower the next generation, the kids? We've got to empower them. We've got to give them the gospel. We've got to teach them God's culture and then teach them how to relate to this culture so they can do both and serve God's purpose in their generation. I've got other things I could say, but I just feel it's time to pray. So if we could just stand, I'm going to ask the musicians to stop playing. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes and ears to see your kingdom culture correctly 
and to recognize the signs of our times. To not just accept and, and, and swallow everything around us, but God, to be different. I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to shine like stars in this generation. Help us, Lord, to make a difference, to use the culture and relate to it, but then to change things around us, Lord. Use us, God, I pray. And Lord, we pray for our kids. Lord, we pray for the young people, the, the little ones, the teenagers, the young adults. Lord, we pray for the next generation. That, God, they wouldn't be lost like Moses' children were lost, Lord. I pray, God, that they would rise up. They would be stronger than us, Lord. They would do more than us, God. I pray for a great generation ahead, Lord God. And I pray that you would help us not to be nearsighted, but to be thinking ahead for them, Lord. And to be empowering them and raising them up. Letting them teach and preach and, and do things for you and, and do great works for you, I pray, Lord. Empower the children, I pray. And Lord, help us to have your perspective on the world around us, God. Help us always to be listening more to your voice than the loud voice of the world, I pray. Help us, God. 